Listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. We're diving in. Uh, we're going to continue on in uh, Corinthians, First uh, Corinthians, and then we're going to uh, kind of go as Paul takes us, and he doesn't leave us alone. It's like, and as I've been uh, preparing this this week and looking at this, I'm like, okay, like we talk about this sexual immorality, and Paul doesn't leave it alone. And he doesn't leave it alone in his other, uh, his other letters as well. And we'll dive into some of those things. And they didn't leave it alone in numbers. And they didn't leave it alone. Like this thing has been going on for a long, long time. Now let's remember the context that we're in. Context is really important for who's saying something. If I would have told you 40 years ago about face that I Googled something, you would have been like, oh, sorry. Sorry that you Googled. You wouldn't know what I meant right? Context matters, right? If you're like, yeah, I shot him a Facebook messenger. You know, you told that to somebody 50 years ago, they would be like, what are you talking about? What's Facebook? So context matters. And when we think about the context in which Paul was sitting in, as he's writing this letter from Ephesus back to the Corinth Corinthians, he was there with them. He knew what their context was like. Who are these people? They are uh, retired Romans, right? They are uh, people that are freed slaves, retired Roman soldiers. They're freed slaves. They are wild people. This place is a wild place. And where, if you combine two cities, which would they be? Las Vegas and San Francisco. Why San Francisco? Because it's a port city, right? Why Las Vegas? Because it's Las Vegas. And so this is a buck wild city the city of of Corinth. And these folks are used to that. The people that would be, that he would have worked with, that he would have converted and that are a part of this first church, a lot of them would likely have been divorced. So he's going to talk about divorce and how you function in divorce. They're asking him a question back in today's uh, passage about a certain things. And they're curious and they're trying to figure this out because in their context, it is normal. Sexual immorality is totally normal and expected and anticipated. And so I want you to think about that God, you think God just spoke through Paul just to the Corinthians in their context? Do you think that God would speak to his people today in this Christian nation uh, that we call America? Do you think that he would want to speak to us today in, in, in context? You think that he cares about us as much as he cared about those first, uh, the first church in, in Corinth? And so he wants to speak to us in our context, and sometimes those overlap, and sometimes we're moving, we're trying to like put all these things together. But let me just tell you this, sexual immorality has been a problem for a long time. Right? The Torah was written, like they, they look at that as like 1400 BC, and they, what do they talk about 1400 years before Christ walked on this earth? Sexual immorality. How do we act? How do we function together? What do we do? Like, why would we, why would we got to be careful with that? And then Christ comes and he totally leaves it alone. Nope. He talks about it and he clarifies it and he calls us to deeper. He calls us to something better than that. And here Paul is uh, writing this letter to these folks and his letters are full of this because it's a problem of the time. It's in context. And I don't know if the context of sexual immorality is going to leave us. But it's different now. It can become the secret sin. And then it's the not-so-secret sin, and then it becomes the normal. Remember my analogy last week that some of us got about wiping poo-poo on your face? 
Like every morning you got up and your whole village and everything you've ever known, you got up and you went over to the poo and you put, and you put your hands in it and you wiped it on your face and that's what everybody did forever. And then somebody comes in there that doesn't wipe poo on their face and they're like, why are you not wiping poo on your face? Like, well, that's what happens with sexual immorality in our culture is, is there's like just that little knob and we're just going to crank it up and we're just going to crank it up and we're just going to crank it up and we're just going to crank it up. And so let's address some of the things in the text today uh, that Paul's saying in uh, chapter 7. And this is actually a question at the beginning that's like coming back to Paul. And so he's, he's quoting that. So let's go to the text today. Uh, concerning married life is what it says in my Bible. It says, now for the matters that you wrote about. So you sent me a letter and you had some questions and this was one of the questions. Is it, quote, send quotes there, is it good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman? Well, that would be difficult for us to fill the earth and have kids and have families and subdue it and do the things we're called to do as Christians, but they're asking this question. And Paul responds, he says, but since sexual immorality is occurring, all right, so... He's already conceded at some level, and he talks more about this, that he's lost the battle of sexual immorality. So since sexual immorality is occurring, we need to curb this and bring it within the bounds of what God had called. Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. So what is he saying He's saying, like, no more adultery, no more going up to the priestess, no more temple prostitutes, no more perverting those things. You need to keep your sex life within the bounds of maybe as God has called it or as he's seen it there between man and woman who are married. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. And in the same way, the husband does not have authority of his own body, but yields it to his wife. Let's talk about this authority. Let's talk about this temple. Let's talk about this body. Like, well, then my wife owes me this. False. She doesn't owe you anything in regards to that. Out of, the, out of her heart, out of her love, out of her compassion, out of a desire to be two united as one flesh... Like this, he made it pretty awesome, right? And so when it's awesome in that relationship, you might want to be involved in that activity. But there's not this, like you can't abuse the passage about authority and the authority that God gives because he fools it, fixes it the other way. And likewise, ladies, like, you know, we're always, oh, the guys are always doing this stuff. Like, you know, like the husband, we're to submit our authority to each other. These temples that are brought together for a purpose, on purpose, which is exciting and all of those other things, but like we don't use this to strong arm somebody into that you're committed to into something that's unhealthy. You know what happens late when ladies don't want to be really connected to your husband, to the husband, you know what's going on? The husband's usually being an idiot. You're usually not meeting a lot of needs. You're usually, they're missing some things there or there could be wounding in the past some very horrible wounding that's happened because of sexual morality in their past and you didn't know about it and you got to work through it together as a couple and you got to fight for it. Not to have your needs satisfied, but to become whole like God would have called you to be. And likewise, ladies, the same thing, that God's calling us to be together for a way. So it's not to be used this submissive authority thing. It's don't let the, don't let the text be abused to your power. 
to your authority, to your desires, to what you want. That's not how God, this is an unselfish book about, about not having pride. Does it say anything about pride in here? And so we put ourselves, we submit ourselves to each other. Because I say, do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent uh, and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. So apparently there's uh, sex prayer fasting. And some people may be real spiritual and that's all cool and things, but like, you know, you gotta, you gotta communicate. Like, how would you know that? Well, you would communicate with your spouse. You would talk with them. You would become one. And Paul, and then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So Paul sees a lot of things going on in this context. I say this as a concession, not as a command. So maybe Paul, and this is interesting as you look up Paul, you're like, it would be weird for a rabbi to not be married in that time, in that culture. And so you look at different scholars and they'll talk about that stuff. But Paul is like, you know, I say this as a concession because he's, he, he's so passionate and so filled up that like a spouse would be just a great burden. And he's so focused on what God's doing in the gospel and he's moving forward and, he talk, and he'll talk about this over and over again about like, okay, well, since you can't figure it out, kind of. So I say this as a concession, not a, not a command. I wish all of you were as I am, that you would just be out there just sharing the gospel in a mighty, mighty way and that you're just unhindered and there's not these things and you don't care if you ever make a nickel because you're not trying to provide for this and you're, not, you're just out doing those things. I wish everybody was... Like the Apostle Paul, not really, because none of us would be here if everybody was like the Apostle Paul, according to this. But he did great work. And some folks are called that, but, but each of you has your own gift from God. Just stop and think about that. Each and every one of you in here has your very own gift from God. One has this gift, and the other has that. Paul's gift apparently, was that, that uh, he, he could just, that, that's his, his whole passion was everything about the text from when he was, from when he was uh, holding, holding uh, coats so people could stone Stephen to being beat up and put in prison and all the things he was doing. That's where his whole life focus was. That was his gift is he could focus that way. Not all of us are, are built that way. So when we think about Sexual immorality, like I said, it goes back. back. Numbers 25, one th- uh, 25 says, uh, while Israel was staying in Shittim, the, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with the Moabite women. So these guys are going out of, out of their tribe and they're obviously doing things that they shouldn't be doing with these folks. And this is in numbers. This is like way back. You invited them to sacrifice to their gods. You mean people were moved to, to leave the faith and do things differently because they were so enamored by sexual immorality that they could justify away uh, their faith in their gods? Interesting. The people ate the sacrificial meat and bowed down before these gods. So Israel yoked themselves with Baal and Peor and the Lord's anger burned against them. It's been around for a long time. Matthew fifteen eighteen, but the things that come out of the person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, 
sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. These are what defiles a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile with them. He's arguing about like, oh, what disqualifies you? Well, here are the things that disqualify you. Another things that disqualify you are the things that affect relationship and your relationship with God and your relationship with others. Because what happens when you murder somebody? How is that relationship affected? Not great. What happens with adultery? Not great. Sexual immorality, not great. Those are all focused and wrapped up in pride. Acts 15, uh, they're basically talking about how are they going to help with these, uh, with these Gentiles, us, and what are they going to require these Gentiles to be doing. And uh, Acts 15, 28 said, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, which is I'm pretty excited that the Holy Spirit was talking to him. Seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to not burden you Gentiles with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. It's pretty easy requirements, except I like red meat and medium rare steaks. Paul, again, in his book of Romans, talking to Roman, uh, Roman, mainly Gentiles. He says, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness. What are these deeds of darkness? And put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime. Not in carousing and drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality and debauchery. Not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord, with Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of your flesh. See, we can get built up into gratifying the desires of your flesh. Some of you already have made lunch plans. You already know what you're going to eat today. You're excited about it because your flesh is excited for going to Gambino's and getting the Wrigley pizza with the sauerkraut and mustard. As we work on the desires of our flesh, they go much deeper than that, don't they? They go much more than just that alarm clock that wants us to eat. And we start eating other things. We start eating things that aren't healthy for us. And we eat those by letting them enter through our eyes and through our mind and through our ears and through our heart. And see, it's not just the kind of food that you eat that can help poison your soul. It's what you choose to intake through all of your, all of your senses that can help poison your soul. And this is something our church, the real life church, can't really shy away from. The idea about sexual immorality, the statistics are no different for any of us sitting in here than they are there out there. They can't tell the difference. Some of you are just brave enough to come in here and want to fight a good fight. You believe what it talks about in, in uh, Corinthians about no temptation can, you know, that the God can help us through our temptations and that we're going to sit here and choose to fight. We're going to take our head out of the sand and fight against sexual immorality because Christ calls us to do that. So what's the big deal? How are we going to do that? What's the problem? I was researching this, like what's the problem with sexual immorality? What's happening? What is the cost? What is the cost of sexual immorality? of letting that desire drive that. That, that. that greatly fuels the drug trade. 
Because as you start taking apart parts of your life and giving them away and throwing them away and not putting them before God and letting him heal and restore them, you start needing to cope. And you try and find that coping through other things. And some of us, it's not heroin. But it's something different. And we start burying ourselves in these things that are not of God. And finding something to fill this gap that we've self-created. And so this is a big one that you can't do by yourself. Here's, here's one, of the, one of the definitions of, of the guy I was, uh, I was reading on the site and he was talking about, you know, here's the problem. Here's where sexual immorality really comes from. And here's his definition. Pride. Pride is a black hole of consuming selfishness at the core of fallen human nature. Pride's nature is to consume, to bring into self. It sees other people, all of God's creation, and God himself as things to use in service to the self's desire. So we have a pride, a pride problem. All right. Well, part of coming out of an addiction, you have to admit that there's something wrong. And I want to know if our church, I guess we got to start here. Our leadership, our church, everyone here, are we willing to admit that there is a problem and are we willing actually to investigate and look at how deep that problem is because this problem is eating us up. It's eating your children up. The average age that a person has viewed pornography is 10 years old or less. There's a huge issue among young men uh, age 18 to 30 with erectile dysfunction. I thought that was an old guy's problem. Why is that such a giant problem for 18 to 30-year-olds? Well, they've been pretty involved in that. One website, one website reports, it's one of the most popular ones for those activities, 28.5 billion annual visits to its website. This is one of tens of thousands of websites. 81 million daily average visits. 25 billion searches performed. That's 50,000 searches per minute. In this 25-minute talk, that'd be 1.2 million searches on this website for porn. Four million videos uploaded of porn. 68 years worth of content uploaded. If you tried to watch all of the content, gosh forbid you, it would take you 68 years to watch what gets uploaded in one year. More, um, more memory, or ter- they call them pent- pentabytes, information transferred, enough to fill up every iPhone on earth. Every year on one website. According to the Journal of Adolescent Health, prolonged exposure to pornography leads to an exaggerated 
perception of sexual activity in society. Diminished trust between intimate couples. The abandonment of the hope of sexual monogamy. Belief that promiscuity is the natural state. Fooling around is normal. It doesn't have to be. It was not, not always like that this, at, at this level. You realize in biblical times, your brothers were the guardians of the sisters. And if you messed with some, one of the sisters in that, that kind of a way, they would kill you. Not a joke. It's not like the dad with the gun, like, hey, I'm going to come over and visit my daughter. I got my gun on the table. I'll kill you if you do. No, like they weren't joking. If you crossed the line in a marriage, outside of that marriage, it was punishable by and up to death. And the people that, that crossed the line, the, the, the spouse that crossed the line and the person that crossed the line, like this was not a private, like, shh, like hush, hush thing. This got out into the light. And so getting things out into the light and accepting and not accepting, but acknowledging that they're here is something that I feel like we're called to do as a real life church. And we're called to equip and prepare. Not just, hey, there's a problem, guys. Good luck. Hope you make it. That'd be pretty cruel, wouldn't it? But to have people that are willing to actually do life with you to help you fight this battle. They say that uh, the modern science allows us to understand that the underlying nature of the addiction to pornography is chemically and nearly identical to that of a heroin addict. That's how strong of a drug that is. What happens in the mind is chemically to that of a, similar to a heroin addict over and over and over again. Cynicism about love or the need for affection between sexual partners, that's been, that's been beat up. Belief that marriage is sexually confining. Just, just eat that up, you know, it's, it's, it's so confining. There's a bunch of lies. There's so many lies that Satan is telling us about this. In our context, we have a problem. Christian churches have a problem. I had a, uh, one of the guys in Montana uh, owned a hotel chain. and went to the church I was at in Montana. He owned a hotel chain. And he said, you know, when they're, and they can track like their, their stuff. I don't know why he, he had that, but maybe it was part of his hotel chain. But there's apparently movies you could buy in a hotel that you might want to just have in the privacy of your hotel room that you wouldn't want to have in front of your family or anybody else. And you know what he was, said to me in a really sad tone? The highest ordering of movies were at Christian conferences at his hotel. The highest ordering of porn movies were at Christian conferences. See, we have to be different. We have to choose to be different and provide avenues and opportunities for people to fight this because it's tearing apart our culture. Again, the, the Journal of Adolescent Health says lack, uh, if, if people who have, are addicted to pornography or view pornography have a lack of attraction to family and child raising. They don't want to have a family. I don't want to raise children. U.S. Department of Justice. Never before in the history of telecommunications media in the United States has so much obscene material been so easily accessible by so many minors, 
in so many American homes with so few restrictions. Houston, we have a problem. What are we going to do about it? Just talk about it once. You want to just talk about it once a year? And just talk about it as it occasionally comes up? Or are we going to be on the front lines of this? First in this building. Right here. Right here. This isn't a you problem. This is a us problem. And if we're not willing to tackle it and we're not willing to try and protect our kids and our families and our spouses and everybody around us and we're not willing to deal with all of this stuff, you know why this is such a great one? You know why this just crushes churches? You've seen it, right? There's, there's been a bunch of stuff come out. There was a guy named Dr. Or, uh, Rabbi Zacharias. He's a super famous, like, did, did ministry all over the place, like this awesome guy, and he was having affairs and doing, he had lots of spa treatments. And, uh, and he was doing a great ministry in Thailand for some reason. And this guy has like a huge giant following of people and his whole ministry just gets gutted because guess what? He couldn't, couldn't figure out how to control his sexual desire, sexual immorality. And he died and now his wife and family are left just picking up the pieces of this giant, giant ministry. bigger they are, the harder they fall, the bigger the target. And so for us as a group, we have to be willing to do that. Some of you should be uncomfortable in here and squirming in your seats. Are you trying not to? Hey, ladies, it's not just a dude problem. One of the fastest growing segments of porn is as women. You try and figure out how to compete. How can you compete with a thousand other ladies who have to, don't have to have any relationship whatsoever? It's a problem of life and death, literally. I was talking to some of our counselors in our church. I'm like, well, how, how often is, is that an issue? And one of our counselors is like, well, in a marital issue, uh, it's, 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 an often, it's a problem quite often. In our church. Ted Bundy did an interview. Day before death row, Dr. James Dobson went in and interviewed Ted Bundy. And I'm, let me raise my hand because my arm hurts right now. Uh, did an interview with Ted Bundy, and he, uh, he attributed, like he was messed up anyway, right? But he was a Christian. Guess what Ted Bundy was? He was a Christian, he went to church. He did all that stuff. He was, he, was, he was just like us sitting in here. And at a very young age, 10 Buddy, this is not the reason why he did it. This isn't the excuse why he did it, but I don't think it helped. He got very into trying to ob- obtain and get violent porn. And he just fed himself that and fed himself that and fed himself that. And when you start planting thoughts in your head and you plant those thoughts long enough, they're going to get watered. And when they get watered, they decide to grow. And when they decide to grow, you could do something as awful as Ted Bundy did to all of those ladies. And you go through and you interview other folks that have those, those sex, sex crimes. Porn has been a part of their life. It's not absent. And so it actually is a matter of life and death. In closing, I want to, before we go to communion, I want to read to you from Romans chapter 20. I think this is something that the 
Lord brought to me this morning. It's not in your notes. I was going through this, and I was like, God, what do you, what's the problem? What do you want me to say? Like, what's, what do you want me to say about this? And here I am in Romans chapter 20, so he doesn't want me to say anything. He wants me to read you what Paul said. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what uh, has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is Paul speaking to the Gentiles in Rome. Although they claimed to be wise, although they claimed to be wise because we got it figured out, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things. Like four million created videos uploaded to a website. Rather than the creator, who is forever praised, amen. Because of this, God gave them over to their shameful lusts. And it goes on, and you can read it more in detail there if you'd like to spend some time in Romans chapter 1. So this is introductory. There's statistics, and I could bear you in statistics. I went to Covenant Eyes, and there's like 35 pages of statistics from 2010, and you just start getting sicker and sicker as you start reading through those statistics, and this could have been a whole statistical sermon to prove to you that porn's a problem. Do I need to, like it may not be a problem for you, but it's, it's, it's a problem for, for somebody very close to you. And if it's not a problem for you and you figure out how to overcome it, welcome to the porn leadership team. Welcome to the team that's going to help other people figure out how to overcome it. And so as we're moving forward and we think about the sacrifices that God made and that we are not a temple of our own, that our bodies are not our own, and they're not our own because of this, because there was an ultimate sacrifice made for us. This isn't going away. I'm not going to talk about it every Sunday, but we're going to have avenues and venues for you to deal with this secret, dark sin that emotes so much shame and so much pain and causes so much pain. We are not going to shy away from it as a church. This isn't going to be the rosy, like, oh, well, your church made me feel good place. I'm not trying to make you feel good. I'm trying to make you feel godly. I want you to, I want you to embrace everything that God has for you. I want you to be free from every chain that, he, that, that are around you absolute freedom and living boldly and being able to talk to other folks about how you attain this freedom through the very blood of Jesus Christ 
because there's a community brave enough to tackle that stuff. And we're not some superstar, you know, heroes here, but it's a problem. And it's, I, I, it's, it's, it's something I just can't get away from. We're not going to get away from it. So maybe we'll have half as many people here next week. I hope not. But I'm going to go with the goers. I want to go with the people that are going to make changes and in, in, in here first, start in our own house first and clean up our own house first to be attractive enough to other people who are going to come to this place because they're going to want redemption. Our restoration nights are going to explode. They're going to explode because we need to be restored. The pastor needs to be restored. The staff needs to be restored. The elders need to be restored. The people sitting in the, in the seats need to be restored. The kids that are in there being loved on right now need to have parents and people that are restored to invest in them. And we start changing a generation, but it starts in here. We're here to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. And we do that through relationship, not from some preaching from the pulpit. You can read these words. You can let them change your heart. It starts with you. It starts with me. So let's go to the cross. Uh, if you are new with us, uh, we have an open table for communion. You don't have to be a member of this church, but if you are a member of the kingdom of God, you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you're trying, we want you to participate with us. So if you don't have communion, uh, my brother Ron will be right there. Just raise your hand uh, like I do. Uh, no, I have communion. Uh, but raise your hand, and he'll be bringing communion. We'll have you open this up and uh, join this uh, at this table with us. If you're not a Christian, we'd love to talk to you about that. If you're like, this is a weird church service. Um, we'd love to talk to you about that, too. Um, but uh, I'd love to talk to you about what does it look like to walk with Christ. And so uh, myself or any other folks, we got somebody need communion here? Good? Two, three? Right there. Thank you, Willie. Brandon? Thank you. All right. Let's go to the table. Before we do that, I want to pray over it. Father God, we thank you that you've given us the power to overcome. You've given us the power to overcome uh, our, our thoughts and our minds and the things that, that are not of you. And that we would be able to quickly cast out stuff that is not of you because we are pursuing you. And we pursue you by the way we love each other, by the way we love the temple that you've given us, by the way we take care of that, by what we ingest into our bodies physically with food, but uh, spiritually, the spiritual food that we're choosing to eat with our eyes and our ears. And so, Lord, I ask that you would just be upon us, that you would give us the boldness and the power to pursue you. And that we would step out of the darkness and we would be into the light. And we would be able to examine the things in the light. We would move aside shame and guilt and all of that stuff and not live in a shame and guilt-ridden culture and a shame and guilt-ridden life, but in a life that honors and glorifies you that is full of love and compassion and connectedness. So we come to your table and we ask for that. So on the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke and said, this is my body. This is the temple, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember our Savior. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it and remembers me for whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. Lord, when you come again, find us fighting for righteousness to love you well. Father, we thank you again for this time. I thank you for 
what you're doing in this church. I thank you for all the great victories that we're having in this church. We're not dominated by any one thing, Lord, but we are weeding out the things that are of Satan that are in this church. It has no place and no power in this church. It has no place and no power in your people. Help us to be bold. Help us to fight the good fight. Help us to fight for, the, for relationship in a mighty, powerful way through the hard things, through the shameful things, through the things that, that we would just want to keep in the dark. Let us live a life and examine a life lived in the light with you. Help us, Father. Help us to pursue you mightily this week. I say this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.